You're listening to the Teens Need Grace podcast, where youth pastor Evan Magelson equips parents with how to apply the gospel to raising teenagers. We take time to answer your questions, interview the experts, and hopefully give you a laugh along the way. Here's Pastor Evan. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Teens Need Grace podcast. I am here with Pastor Brad Bigney. Brad um, is part of the Evangelical Free Church of America and holds an MDiv from Columbia Biblical Seminary. He's a certified ACBC counselor, conference speaker, and he's a lead pastor of Grace Fellowship uh, since 1996, and he's an author of Gospel Treason. So basically, Brad is really busy. <laughs> and uh, he's he and his wife, uh, Vicki, have been married for 35 years and have five adult children. Brad, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, Evan. I yeah. always enjoy the opportunity, and I appreciate you choosing me to talk about a subject that I really love because it has changed my life personally. That's great. Man, um, thank you so much for just taking the time to meet with me. Your your intro just shows just how packed your calendar probably is. And so we just want to take some time, and I just want to take some time and pick your brain about how we can be just better parents for our teenagers. Um but before we do that, I would love to ask, is there any, was there any quirk or embarrassing yeah. thing about you that you'd like to share that, that when you were a teenager, right? Yeah. Just, uh... Probably, you know, from having been at the same church for 26 years now, I came here to do a church plant and I haven't left. <laughs> the people here, I regularly will re- remind them the man they see now is not what I was like as a child or even a teenager growing mm. up. So probably the quirk that I would say I'm super outgoing now and, mm-hmm. you know, pretty frothy and, and emotional and, frothy. and passionate. And, uh, cause sometimes people will say, Hey, Pastor Brad, have you ever watched yourself? Just mute the sermon and watch yourself with no sound. And wow, he moves around a lot, <laughs> but as a teenager, believe it or not, as a child and a teenager, I was so, so painfully quiet mm. and withdrawn uh, I went all the way. We were living in Pittsburgh at the time, and I went all the way through the ninth grade without speaking. Wow. You know, and you can do that when you have no friends. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, so, oh, no. praise God, my dad actually made me go out for sports. He made me get on the wrestling team, made me do the tennis team, made me do track, made me do, I don't know where I'd be today, but of really? course, I was just mortified. <laughs> and, uh, but God, God changed me. So, anyway, as That's a team. That's great. So, parents might need to hear. God can dramatically change uh, your child from what you might be seeing right now, uh, how they're going to function as adults. So I just toss that out there. Oh, that's I great. mean, my parents and anyone that knew me would would just be shocked if they thought Pastor Brad is a pastor of a big church with three campuses and he mm-hmm. speaks mm-hmm. at conferences around the nation. Yeah, that's what God can do. Man, that's great. I can already probably think of some parents in my <laughs> who, whose kids are in my youth group that are 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 like hopefully cheering while listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, sweet. Don't lose heart. Don't <laughs> lose hope. Yeah. That's great. I was very similar. Uh, yeah. My middle school years were very awkward and mm-hmm. uh, not full of a lot of um, talking and hope and outgoingness. And now I'm the, the exact same way as you just, yeah. I don't know when to stop talking. And I've yeah. never, descri- I've never heard somebody describe themselves as frothy. Can you, uh, <laughs> can you help me out a little bit? What does that mean? <laughs> uh, I, I guess I mean, You're just when bubbling you, you know, over. Yeah. Cause my wife, go. I like coffee, but my wife likes tea and hot chocolate and she's got a frother. Oh. So you, take, you take whatever you're going to do, half and half cocoa, mm. whatever mm. it is. And you put it in this thing that looks like a French press. And you run it and it just froths it and you know, so it's, yeah, it's got a head on it and it's foamy. And so personality wise and the way I come across in, in speaking, I think is frothy. There you go. I'm going to have to use that more often. That's okay. great. I'm just going to say, you know, you're kind of a frothy guy and maybe hopefully that, I'll get some strange looks. That's great. That can be yours now, Evan. Take it, <laughs> run with it. Yes. Cool. Well, Brad, thank you so much, man, for coming on today. I just wanted to pick your brain. Um, about the subject of of idols. Now, I know for um, parents, it might seem kind of weird. Like, what? Why would we talk about idols in a parenting podcast? But from what I've read from you and heard you on podcasts, it's actually kind of a big deal, um, especially yeah. with how we're going to parent and if we're going to 
love our kids well and honor Jesus well. This is something that we need to um, talk about. And so if you could just really briefly, can you kind of share why why should we talk about this? Yeah. What, what is what is the point, especially when it comes to parenting teenagers? Yes. Well, I, I would say it directly like this. I've raised five kids. They're all age, oh, 25 to 32 now. Mm-hmm. I have never experienced as much pain in my personal life as I have through parenting. Mm-hmm. Now, if somebody is out there and it's all golden and it's going great and all your kids are goose stepping along, singing hymns and holding hands with you around the supper <laughs> table, I am happy for you. But that's not what my season looked like. And I it rocked my world. And it's not what I thought was coming, you know, because we homeschooled in the younger years and I did character cards, the beaver and, you know, initiative and and role played. And we didn't have a television upstairs in the main room on all the time. We thought we were doing it so right. Right. That it rocked our world when I had a couple kids go off the rails in their teen years. And it was difficult and it's painful. So parents, you know, you take it personally at first how could you do this to me? Your mother's been such a good mom. I've been such a good, we've done it so right. And so I I bring that to you because here's the deal. Most of the time, idols fly under uh, under the surface and you're unaware of them until enough pain or heat pushes what's really in your heart to the surface. And the reason I bring this is not to point at parents and say, well, you do realize it's all your fault. So never mind your kid. Don't hear me saying that today. Do hear me saying, guess what? You're the only person you can actually control. Mm. And so if you were to begin to get a hold of your own heart and say, wow, God, what are you showing me about me? Because mm. if I could get a hold of that, because the problem is when our teenagers begin to act out or be or do things we never thought they would be or do. Our tendency is to just think they're the biggest, biggest sinner in the home. Oh, man, <laughs> they are so immature. They are so selfish. They are so sinful. How do I know that? I did it. I right. lived it. And it doesn't produce a lot of good fruit. Mm. And it's like only when I finally begin to slow down and God helped me say, Brad, what about your heart? So some of this pain that I was feeling was actually Uh, an indicator of some things that I was holding to and believing and expecting needed to be corrected. That's what was making this extremely painful. Hmm. So, you know, I say it this way, idols usually only get exposed and you don't realize it until something is taken or shaken. Hmm. Something that was dear to you gets shook in your life and you react with anger or depression or anxiety or fear Or something is literally taken. You lose a job. You lose something dear to you. And oh my goodness, all of a sudden you find out, I'm not. Here's the number one thing that was exposed in me. I'm not as loving as I thought. (laughs) You know, I'm like, I actually love people that do what I want. So, you know, (laughs) in the children, sure, there's, there's a measure of disobedience. And I hope this doesn't sound... You know, like I'm I'm speaking condescending, but listen to me. If you're a young parent and you think it's hard right now with just chubby little arms and fingers that are trying to <laughs> stick them in the light fixtures and all that, buckle up. That that is nothing compared to what's coming. It it's not those younger, oh, she's throwing her food bowl off the tray, and oh, I'm afraid. That was hard and it mm-hmm. was tiring. But this teen season, I call it the teen into young adult. Yeah. Teen on into like. 2021, 20, 22, yay, verily, he still lives in the basement and he sort of works a job and he's trying to go to school. Should we kick him out? Should we not? Those <laughs> are some of the most painful, huh. emotionally draining, exhausting. How do me and my spouse stay on the same page? Right. Years that I've ever gone through. And, I, and I've been counseling for 32 years now. I'm 59. I've been a pastor 35 years. So it's not just me. I've learned it's not just us. Mm. this is one of the most disorienting seasons you could head into. But I say it this way, don't waste your pain, your parenting pain. It's a great time to see things about your own heart you never saw. But don't make the mistake of saying, she just makes me, oh, he makes me so, I I never was like this before then. No, you always were. Mm. There was just never an occasion for it to be exposed. So like I was saying, I thought I was very loving. I'm not. 
Mm. You find that out when you have a teenager that's difficult to love. They're just not lovable. They're not giving you what you want. They're not respecting you. They're not, they're not whatever. All the things you thought they would be doing as they're not doing it. And you find, I don't love them. In fact, I'm angry. You say, oh, Lord, wow, look at this. Look at this. Wow. Dude, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> you're not the first, you're, so I have, I have two toddlers, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and they're both boys, and they're like a pinball machine, Yeah. and, uh, you know, they're just bouncing off the walls and hitting each other and all everything, and yeah, consistently, I always hear the, just you wait. <laughs> I know. <laughs> from I mean, my, from my older friends who've had, who have teenagers yeah. or kids out of the house, and they just say, yeah. listen, listen, I get it, you have to wipe their booties, and you uh-huh. have to you know, you know, they try to smack you in the face and all sorts of stuff and yeah. whatnot, but just wait. And then I'm always like, yeah, but at least your teenager can get in the car by themselves. Uh, yeah. And that's <laughs> but, part of what's so scary. They do get in the car and they drive <laughs> off and you think, oh, God of the heavens. Right. Like, yikes. So I remember, you know, I've been here long enough that my I've done three parenting sermon series you know, the first couple ones were very focused on the younger kids because that's what I had. I'll never forget this older gentleman. He's still in our church, Bud. Uh, very godly, very wise. And he just comes up to me and he just smiles. He lays his hand on my arm. And he's like, oh, Brad, <laughs> just wait until they're late teens, young adults. And yeah. he just spun and walked away. And uh, I reached back out to him when I got there and I was like, oh, Bud. Now, I didn't appreciate it that day. I was of like, course, what yeah. could you possibly be? What is wrong about? with you? Yeah. It couldn't get harder than this because then they can right. bathe themselves, wipe their bottoms, you know, <laughs> make decisions. Uh, but if you're in it, yeah. you know, totally it's just and I've never I've also haven't seen anything quite like the parenting teen young adult years for driving a wedge between a husband and wife. So this mm. parenting trial quickly bleeds over into a marriage trial Mm. because you have to really work hard to stay on the same page Yeah, because it's just not obvious. There's not a Bible verse that says, should I let them go to that party or not? (laughs) What time should we have them come in? Should I, should I, is that a good friend or not? Can they have a cell phone now? Can they have unlimited? All these things are overwhelming. And often what I've noticed is a parenting trial during that season begins to reveal in a marriage if there was just a hairline fissure in a marriage, it becomes the Grand Canyon. Mm. It just explodes. And so often I'm working with people that now they've got a massive marriage problem and a parenting problem, but the parenting issue is the contributing factor. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Yeah. So that's also why some of this is just so disorienting uh, and difficult. I wanted to pick your brain a little bit. You said, you know, things like this, are uh, revealed when they're shaken or taken or yeah. when there's pain and heat. Yeah. What, what, a, I mean, for, for somebody who they're hearing stuff like this for the very first time, can you kind of walk through maybe um, what, what would that look like? I mean, what, how does something, how does, how do what is pain and heat in somebody's life? What, and how okay. does that reveal, how does that reveal um, I guess maybe some, and like what could be an idol in their life? Right. What does that reveal? Does that make sense? Sure. So it doesn't have to be a parenting trial. It can be a marriage trial. It can be uh, news of prostate cancer, breast cancer. You know, it can be any number of things. But the way I like to say it is heat reveals heart. And it's only, you know, think about it. Nobody comes up to me on a Sunday or sends me an email and says, oh, Pastor Brad, this past year, I grew spiritually like never before. Uh, I I got a pay increase. Hair grew back on my head. My wife lost 40, 40 pounds. All my kids scored the way I thought they would and got in all the schools I wanted them. I have spiritually grown this. No, no. Yeah. It's just not true. It's during the times of heat. Now, don't hear me saying heat and trial automatically produce spiritual growth. Mm. It can lead to bitterness, but the potential for growth is huge because that's when you start seeing your own heart. And you don't want to say, well, that's not really me. That's not really me. What's coming out out of my mouth right now? Don't judge me on that because I'm in so much pain. I'm sorry. What's coming out of your mouth is tied to your heart. Jesus said in in Matthew 12 and in 15, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
So when it's coming out of your mouth, uh, then we realize, wow, look at that heart. So, so all I mean is you might have had an idol your entire life. You've, you might have been prone to, I need lots of margin in my life. I like mm. margin. I like wide. I like comfort. I don't like anything to surprise me. I like to be, here's one. I like to be in control, like mm. control and comfort are two of the biggest unseen idols. And you can say, no, that's not me. But if you think about it, I hope this doesn't sound bad to single people. God can still work in their lives in other ways. But when you're single, you have lots of margin. My schedule was my schedule. Mm. And I'm singing in the woods with my guitar. I'm praying for hours. I thought I was so godly. No, <laughs> I was so uninterrupted and, and, and uninconvenienced mm, interesting. that I could feel very godly. <laughs> it's like when I when I got married, I was like, whoa, girl, I never used to be like this till I had you. And then we had a baby and I'm like, "Woo!" and another one and "Woo!" But none of that was changing, Brad Vigney. It was revealing. Mm. I just didn't have the margin. I didn't get to just do what I want. I couldn't move at my pace. And uh, so that's what I mean by there's often heart issues. Some of it's control. Some of it's. Uh, uh, respect or or to be well thought of. So what came out in our counseling, the way I got excited about biblical counseling and actually learned of idols of the heart myself was not a book. It was in counseling. So Vicki and I, 32 years, th 30 years ago, signed up for counseling because we were arguing so much. She would say what she would say. I would say what I would say. She would say it again. I would say it louder. She would cry. <laughs> yeah. We would retreat to our own corners and we would just rehash it all over again in a few days. Mm. And we thought we are not getting unstuck. Mm -hmm. And when we went for counseling, you know, he listened. He, I, I, you know, I talk, I talk. And I thought I was winning the day. You know, mm. I'm just talking, 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 trying to help him see my side of the whole thing. And about six sessions into it, he's like, Brad, I think you have some significant heart idols that control you and motivate why you do what you do. I could not have been more shocked. I was on staff at a church. Yeah. I was the youth and music guy. And I just sat there thinking, what are you talking about? And here's what's so funny. A good counselor will do this. He listened and he was writing down things I was saying. And then he pulled it all together and showed a pattern. <laughs> and so what, what I thought, wow. he said, you keep saying, you keep saying, you keep saying, and it always sounds so ugly when someone else says to you what you say. It's like, ooh, ooh, yeah, you're right. Like, ah. And so I was convinced that I was going 80 hours a week, working day and night, saying, you know, saying yes to everything everyone wanted me at church for the glory of God. And he said, Brad, I think you love being loved and you have an idol of approval. Because I would say no to Vicky repeated. I would cancel a date with Vicky, mm -hmm. cancel a family night cancel anything regarding family or home. And I would never say no to anyone in the church. Now I had convinced myself that was what it looks like to be the best pastor in the world. But then I, then he helped me see you love Brad Bigney. You, so there's an example. There's a real one from my own life. And I'm telling you what, that was hard to change because I had a habit of doing that. I'd done that my whole life. Yeah. So many times idolatry is something that you began to shift towards even as a child. I'll give you another one, Evan. You know, say you grow up in an alcoholic home. My heart goes out to anyone who grew up in an alcoholic home. Alcoholic no homes are typically characterized by chaos, mm. embarrassment. Mm. You can't bring friends home. You don't know if mom will be drunk on the couch. You don't know if dad will show up yelling and screaming and breaking things. So you live this kind of this double life where you don't want anyone to know your home, but you, you also live craving control. Mm. And you say, when I'm in a position where I can decide how I'm live, I will always be in control. Right. I will, I'll, I'll shift gears a minute. If you grew up in a home with divorce, my heart goes out to you. Never mind all the secular books that try to say, Oh, kids are so resilient. No big deal. <laughs> right. That is such a lie. Yeah. Now don't don't lose heart if you're listening and you've been through a divorce and you're a single mom listening today. I'm not saying this to crush you at all, dear, dear person or single dad, because God gives grace. But it's a lie that this doesn't affect the kids. It affects them greatly. Mm. And so sometimes a child grows up and heads into adult life thinking, 
I will never trust again. I just sat with mm. one of our students. Our student ministry had a prayer night a couple of weeks ago. And they said, we want to offer different rooms the kids can go to and they choose. And one of the rooms will be elders that will pray for you. I mm. love prayer. So I said, oh, I'll be one of those elders. So I just sit in this nice room with some couches and for two and a half hours and kids can just come in. And I heard it over and over. There was a young man. He was probably 17, 17. So you would think, whatever, he's 17. He's so cool. He's got other stuff. He doesn't mm. care that his parents are. No, yeah. he was. He could barely talk about it. And he said, my dad lied and lied and lied and lied and said there wasn't another woman. Mm. Finally, it came out. There really is. Now he lives on his own. He still sort of sees her. I'm supposed to go see him. And he said, I love my dad. There's so much I want to experience with him, but mm. at the same time, I'm so angry and I don't trust him and I really don't trust anyone. Mm. Well, that's what I'm talking about. My heart goes out to him, but if he's not careful, he right. could build his world around in a reaction to suffering. He could build his world around. I will never truly trust again. And if you do, you'll never truly love again because mm. love by its very biblical definition is puts you at risk. It's giving for the needs of another, expecting nothing in return. So I sit with people who desperately want real love and intimacy, whether it's in friendship or in their church or in their marriage, but they're, they're afraid. They want it, but they're afraid. Mm. And they don't realize you are making decisions that actually push people away and keep them at arm's length while you say you desperately want this. So there's another example of what I'm talking about. You can have great. an idol of I will not trust because I'm in charge now. I will not right. be hurt again. Yeah. So notice, notice all the examples I'm giving you. My, I, I want to be loved, approval. I will not trust again. I must be in control. Notice these aren't objects. It's not a car parked right. in the driveway. Totally. It's not a, it's not a bronze Buddha with some <laughs> incense in front of it. That's why as Americans, sometimes we can be guilty of, as Christians here, of thinking idolatry is a problem in some other countries right now, but not America. Oh, that's why my favorite way to bring this is talk about idols of the heart, mm. heart. And that's what Ezekiel chapter 14 verses one to eight talk about, where God says to Ezekiel, these men, and he's talking about the leaders in Israel, have set up their idols in their heart. And what's interesting is three times in that passage, God says, which caused them to stumble into iniquity. Mm. Here's, here's the other reason why this is huge, and I hope the listeners are getting excited instead of saying, whatever, I don't, I don't need this subject. <laughs> People don't realize idols blind you and bind you. They make a slave out of you, and they keep you from seeing other things you should see. And so very often when someone has a significant idol or cluster of idols, they step into sins, other sins that they would not but they want what they want so much, or they're driven by what they're driven so much. They cross the line into sin. They would never cross over into were it not for this idol. So here's where I hope people get excited in my own life. And as I work with others, if we can get below the surface and you can begin with God's grace to understand what might be some of the idols of my heart, when you begin to repent on a heart level, Oh, it changes the direction of your life. It changes how often you're in big, big trouble. Very often Christians are, I call it, they're snipping on fruit sins with little Bible verses. Don't get angry. Don't be afraid. Don't do that. Don't, and they're not finding it very helpful. And then here's what I hear them say. Oh, well, I guess that's just who I am. I'm mm. an angry man. Or I'm just a, a, a frantic, anxious woman. And that's sad because the Bible offers powerful, real gospel, life-changing hope. Not to just keep you out of hell but to change the way you live now. Mm -hmm. And when you begin to repent on a heart level, so I call it repenting of root sins instead of fruit sins. Mm. Often two or three or four fruit sins are connected to one root. Yeah. So if you begin to significantly repent on a heart level in one area, you'll watch three or four or five uh, act, totally. you know, certain things in your life externally begin to change and weaken. It's so exciting. It's so exciting. This is good stuff. I have like a million questions now. <laughs> All right. This is great. Um, I So for an example in my life, you know, I love that you, so I come from a divorce home and um, 
Uh, and one of the things that I can very easily struggle with is, is just getting frustrated. Um, whether it's because my laundry, my, uh, my, my washer doesn't work or the lawnmower won't start or, um, my, my kid just, you know, I get home and it's, it's been a hard day and I don't, you know, and so a lot of, you know, people would tell me that, you know, well, you have an anger issue and I don't, I, I don't think that's the case. If I was to go along with what you are saying, right? That's a fruit sin. But my root right. sin is definitely probably the worship of my control, my time, what I want to do. And mm-hmm. so um, I'm hoping that parents are hearing this and and beginning to, to see, mom or dad, you're not, uh, your, your sin is, is rooted in something that, that you might be worshiping that yeah. you don't know. And yeah. so I want, I don't know. I know that there have been times where my wife has very lovingly when the, when the heat arises, right. Yeah. And the pressure builds and my yeah. true heart comes out. My wife is so loving and saying, did you see your idol? <laughs> and, um, and so I, how can, well, you've so got I, a good one there. Oh, dude. Oh my gosh. I am. She is out of the park. And, um, and so for parents listening to this, how can we begin to, in a sense, get the shovel out and start digging, I guess, and kind of figuring out, Yeah. you know, you know, yeah. because, you know, for guys like us, we're kind of used to thinking this way. We're used to kind of, in a sense, mm-hmm. like following the cookie crumb, the crumbs to seeing what the root mm-hmm. issue is. Yeah. So how can, how can parents do this? You know, that maybe they're like what you said, maybe they're an angry dad or a really yeah. frazzled mom or, yeah. um, you know, the list can go on, but how can yep. we, how can they start to just, yep. you know? So I will say this, you're already, you're already poking in the right spot, but most often times people don't go for, far enough. Mm. So start with emotions. Nobody usually has a hard time telling me what they're feeling. Right. Oh, I just felt, I'm just, and I'll say, what are you thinking? I'm not thinking anything. I just felt, well, you were thinking something, but we, so start with a feeling and trace it back and say, God. So I always say to my counselees, feelings are like, you know, significant lights on your dashboard. They're telling you something, but that's not really the issue. So the answer isn't to just cover it up. Like, right. I I laugh now every time I give that illustration, because my car is old It's 2010 and so the lights are on when they shouldn't be on. So I've taken black electrical tape and just put it <laughs> over all these lights because I got so tired of seeing check engine and all this. But in general, that's not what you want to do. Instead, you, it's to tell you something else more important is actually wrong. Right. So but very often we don't know. So people aren't lying when they say, I don't know. I right. don't know what's going on in my heart. So here's my favorite prayer. I always say Christians complain that, that I'll Prayer doesn't work. Prayer doesn't work. I would say, let me give you a prayer that God loves to answer. And so Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, I believe is a prayer that God loves to answer. You ready? Yep. Search me. Oh, God. (laughs) Notice we love prayers that begin with get her. Oh, God. Get him. Oh, God. Change him. This is search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any anxious way in me and lead me in. I always say to my counselees, ask God to show you everything you're not seeing about you. Mm. God, what am I not seeing about me? And here's the other thing. Sometimes someone will say, well, it's my heart. Wouldn't I know what's going on in my heart? No, Mm. you wouldn't. Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitfully wicked and who can know it? Good news is in the next verse, verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. So he knows our heart and say, God, show me, show me. So I'll give you an example of anger since you've mentioned that. And it's a good one because I find that guys, one of our, you know, we're all sinners, but men tend to sin in certain ways more than ladies in other ways. And a, a very common male sin is anger. But just memorizing a do not get angry verse does not fix that. Right. Maybe someone listening has already found that out. Now I'm <laughs> angry and I feel guilty about it because I memorized a bunch of do not get angry verses. Right. Now I'm really angry. I'm angry. <laughs> well, let me help you. Anger is almost always rooted in a sense of entitlement. And guys can be so guilty of that. It's my right 
I shouldn't be treated this way. I deserve better. I want, I thought I would have, I'm the dad. I would never have. One of my favorite things that I used to say, and I finally realized that you need to quit saying it. I would never have talked to my dad that way. I've never done what he's doing. <laughs> you know what? I think we forget. And even yeah. if I'm accurate on that, it doesn't mean I was any less of a sinner as a teenager in my parents' home. Just get over yourself and stop saying that <laughs> and say, God, what am I wanting? Right. And so when my youngest son, who's 25 now, was 16 and still living in the home, oh my goodness, I was going from zero to 60 with anger with him in like one second. And it was happening a lot. It was just like, woo, because he kept fighting with his sister, his older sister over everything. Mm. And I would launch out of my chair. So I remember the night I launched up out of my chair. He'd already gone back downstairs. And I went down and I got like every good dad. I got <laughs> right in his face, nose to nose. You know, spittle was dangling off the side of my mouth, I'm sure. As I looked down at him and I said, don't you ever talk to her about her music again. As long as you live in this house, I'm the dad. And uh, you know how these moments usually go. Because I didn't touch him. You know, you're not supposed to. And he just looks up at me totally unmoved. He's not scared, which even ticked me off more. And he says, wow, you're really mad. Is this really a big deal? And I was like, oh, and that just made me, you know, I wanted to twist his head off and put it in his hand. <laughs> but then here's what's interesting, Evan. He He's so calm. I'm so out of control, right? Yeah. He's not even a Christian. At 16, he wasn't a Christian. Mm. It's like the Holy Spirit said, Brad, look at you. You're out of control. Spittle's dangling out of the corner of your mouth. You're so upset. You're the Christian. You're the certified counselor. You're the pastor. This is not good. And my mm. wife had already been saying, like your wife, Evan, she's really sweet. She would just lay her hand on my arm and say, ooh, honey, 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 honey. This is <laughs> now, now, and she wouldn't do it in front of him. Right. Praise God. But but she would say, honey, he's already doing his thing. Now you're doing your thing. We got both of you kind of out of control. This isn't helping. And so I got along with the Lord and I said, well, actually, full disclosure, I didn't. Mm. It, it, here's what God did. I had been still reading the Bible at breakfast to him and his sister before they went to school. And I would just go through Proverbs and just put a post-it note where I left off. I kid you not. The next morning in breakfast, I opened the Bible and the post-it note where I'm supposed to read literally is a man without self-control is like a city with its walls torn down. And I said to myself, I'm not reading that. I'm not reading that because everyone saw what I did last night. And I just read the next verse instead. Mm. It's like, but it got my attention because I thought, all right, I need help. Mm. And so here's the other thing that I would say. You will not learn your own heart on the fly in mm. the fast lane. This takes time. And sometimes we don't want to set aside necessary time. I don't mean three days, but a half hour or something. Just sit down with the Lord and say, God. I really need help. I want to at least control my side of this issue in our home. What is going on in my heart? What? So here's how I always like to say, I said to God, what am I saying to myself? What am I believing? What am I rehearsing over and over? Mm. What am I wanting? What am I protecting? What am I prizing? Typically, that surrounds an idol. Mm. And God revealed to me, and I hadn't realized it, that I had been guilty of saying to myself as I sat in my chair, we homeschooled you when you were young. We worked hard. We did role plays. Da, 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 da. You're not little. Just do it. Do what we taught you. You're 16. I shouldn't have to get out of my chair. I shouldn't have to break up a fight. Right. Making sense? Oh, yeah. And so it's like, God, I had checked out too soon. And I thought I deserved mm. to sit there when I come home. You know, and I was going yeah. to say to myself, I deal with problems all day at church. I have tons of problems. I don't want to deal with problems at my house. And so God just said to me, Brad, do I ever repeat myself to you? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. And, and so I just got my head around a new set of thoughts. So you got to find out what have you been saying to yourself? And then I just literally wrote down some new thoughts. I want to model to Garrett how godly men address conflict. Would I? And here's what got me. I thought to myself, would I ever want him to talk to his wife like this one day when they're in a conflict? Right. right in her face with spittle. No. Mm. Why am I doing it with him? I was like, oh, I only have a few more years with him in the home where I can model to him and have influence in his life. Don't squander these years. Yeah. And so it just helped me with new thoughts to get up out of my chair calmly, 
he still kept being himself. I don't <laughs> believe he changed much at all. But our whole home got better because I changed. And my wife said, oh, honey, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You're doing so much better. Right. And, uh, so there's an example of what I'm talking That's about. That's great. I was angry. But you got to figure out that anger is in response to what? What right. is it you think you're not getting that you've decided you deserve? Yeah. What? So for parents listening, then maybe, you know, what that now that this is beginning to hopefully click a little bit, what did you? So actually, let me rewind a little bit. I, do you think there's a difference between like self observation, kind of like going to the Lord and saying, Lord, please reveal my heart versus I don't know how else to say it. And, and, besides just like almost nitpicking at yourself. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. Thank like, you for bringing that out. Does that make sense? Because I feel like it, because yeah. I know myself, I know when I sit down and try to do stuff like that, I, I, I go over, man, I'm just this man. Look yep. at, look at all of, look at this long list of just, yeah. What is wrong oh, no. with me? With all the things <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah. With all the things you could have touched on, in this short hour, thank you for choosing that one. Cause I literally say, and there's so much more that needs to be said yeah. and framed up with this. So again, I'm not trying to be self-serving cause I don't, I don't make tons of money from the book, but if you want more, right. get the book gospel treason, or if you're more auditory, I've got, uh, I think it's 11 messages on my website, bradbigney.com. That's I great messages on gospel treason where I walk through in much more detail. This oh, that's one great. of the things I try to emphasize that's the answer to your question is when you begin to go this route, it is good because you're going to go from fruit to root, but it's turning you inward to your own heart. And that can be a very dark place. And some people more than others are, are kind of hardwired towards perfectionism and mm. beating themselves up right. and loathing I'm just such a wretch. This is one more example. And so here's how I like to say it. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Mm. So whenever you're on a path like this of saying, God, please show me more of my own heart. I would say, read the gospels. Don't be reading something else that's really causing you to feel convicted and, and, and pushed down. Get your eyes fixed on Christ who loves sinners and meets sinners where they are. Don't get lost in your own heart. Keep So even like when I do a gospel treason weekend conference on purpose after four messages about idols of the heart, if I'm invited to conclude on Sunday, I do Isaiah 40, behold your God. Mm. And I completely push away from us. And I remind us how big he is and how loving he is and how good he is and how he's for us. You've got to have a steady dose of, that's why I have a savior. Yeah. And that's what the gospel's about. And because you're right, Satan would love to come right alongside of what could be a good process. Right. Turn it into a destructive process. Right. Because God loves to convict us as a loving father. Satan loves to accuse us and mm. belittle us. Mm -hmm. Even when I'm counseling, I always say to my counselees, if the voice you're hearing piles it on and says, look at that, look at that, and that, and that, and that. How do you, how can you, and, and they're, and they're in the middle of telling me that's the Holy Spirit. I'm like, trust me, that is not the Holy Spirit. Right. Totally. The Holy Spirit will bring one thing and will bring it lovingly and gently yes. and will offer hope with it. When you feel like you're being piled on and it has the sound of you ought to give up, you're worthless. Why do you even think you're a Christian? That is your enemy, Satan. So thank you for asking that. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, I just, I just know my own, <laughs> I know what I'm, I'm prone to do sometimes and, and, and who I'm listening to, which voice I'm yeah. listening to. Yeah. So let's say, you know, with the last little bit we have, let's say, you know, parents are doing this, they're beginning to realize maybe some, some stuff going on. Where's the hope? What do we, what do we do now? How do we, like what you said, fix our eyes on Jesus and how do we begin yeah. to change those roots. Where's, where's the encouragement? Where's the, you know, yeah. where's the victory, I guess. <laughs> well, I would say often you can go to great places and getting there is painful. So the first thing is don't be put off by pain. It's almost like with a surgeon or even the times I've been in rehab, I snapped my ACL Oof. and I know this rehab person meant well, 
but I, I would scream at the top of my lungs when they took my foot and wanted to pull it back to my butt and my heel was supposed to touch my butt. They didn't seem like my friend. I didn't <laughs> no. thank them. So they meant well, but now I have great mobility and I can I have freedom to play sports. Had I not yielded myself to that therapist rehab, my leg would probably still not barely move. So mm. I, I bring that. Don't think, oh, this is this is so painful. It can't be right. Uh, significant pain can lead to some significant points of freedom. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be painful, but just choose maybe one area. Change never happens wholesale. You got where (laughs) you are, you know, you got where you are one decision at a time and one, just pick an area. If you're like, say, take anger. You're like, okay, great anger. I would love to have some help there. Maybe you're a woman. You're like, I just am eaten up with anxiety and worry over my kids. All right. Take that one. Uh, maybe someone's listening like, you know what? I think I'm way more materialistic than I should. I, I actually live for money and the things that it could do. Pick one area and trace that down for a little bit. And then I would also invite them to do this. You you mentioned a minute ago, you can turn inward and say, Holy Spirit, show me. But often people don't consider because we're too prideful. So if you would humble yourself, invite a friend to walk with you mm. and bring someone else into it. They don't have to be a trained counselor and just say, God is revealing some things to me about me. And I would love to just have some conversations with you about what he's teaching. Because very often you can read and learn, but in conversation, you often can come to clarity talking things through. Yeah. It was somewhat amazing, like Blaise Pascal or something. And I'm not going to remember it exactly. But he said something like reading makes a full man. Conversation makes a, a some other kind of man. And writing makes a precise man. There's something about reading that helps you, something about conversation. That's why God gave us each other. We need the body of Christ. I call it put the welcome mat out and Mm. invite someone else in to see your dirty laundry that you trust Mm. and say, would you walk with me a little bit here? Mm -hmm. And then there's truth in start writing down, perhaps journaling what God's showing you. Sometimes clarity, more clarity can come as you begin to write. Totally. So there's what I would put out there. That's for a, great. A first couple of baby steps. That's wonderful. Where where would you point to um, maybe in in scripture where um, where ah, where good. we've seen where I don't know where where there is some heart change or where the Bible lays out kind of the the change process. Yeah. So glad you asked. When someone when someone wants to know about idolatry, my two go to passages that I believe inform us. Uh, gives uh, give us insights about this is one Old Testament, one New Testament. I mentioned one, Ezekiel 14, 1 to 8. There is so much good in that passage. So Ezekiel 14, 1, 1 to 8 is what talks about idols of the heart that cause you to stumble into iniquity. James 4, 1 to 3. Yep. Where do fights one. and wars come from among you? And he's not talking about one nation against another nation. He's talking about husband, wife, best friends, church members. Is it not your desires for pleasure that war in your members you want and you cannot have, you covet and steal that? And then he says, you ask and you don't get it because you ask him with wrong motives. Mm-hmm. So it's all about the heart. I always say to my counselees, notice you have an internal war in your own heart before you ever go to war with anyone else around you. Mm. He's talking about the war in your own heart that you want certain things so much. So James 4, 1 to 3, Ezekiel 14, 1 to 8. And if you really want to see the layout of a change process, my go-to to is Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, where it says, put off the old yeah. man. Notice, you can be saved and you still have to choose to begin to put off some of those old ways. Right. 24 says, put on the new man created in holiness. And verse 23 in the middle is a key by the renewing of your mind. you nice. got to change what you're saying to yourself. you got to change what you believe. You got to understand what God says versus what you've been saying to yourself. There's the change process in Ephesians four. That's great. Uh, can I can I just ask one more now? Can, yeah. How does what is what is the how does Ephesians four look like practically? How do I if let's just say yeah. for me with my anger or with my frustration if I'm a dad or whatever yeah. and I struggle with it? How, how what does that look like? How do I take off anger and then put on Christ okay, good. or so here's exactly what I did okay. in that. And I've had to do it many times, but in that instance with Garrett, when he was 16, 
So first, I just brainstormed. Remember, I said, you're, this isn't going to happen in five minutes. So if you don't think this is worth some time, you will just get to stay an angry man and woman the rest of your days. Mm. This took me some time. I wrote down what I was doing that I thought was ungodly. Okay. Right? Here's my behavior. <laughs> then I backed it up and I said, God, Psalm 139, 23, search me. What have I been saying to myself? And I wrote down just all just fragment sentences. I shouldn't have to do this. We taught him. He should just do it on his own now. Right. I come home tired. I deal with problems at church. So first write down your wrong thinking. So I went wrong behavior, back it up, wrong thinking. Now I say, what should I be saying, God? And that's when, and I literally wrote down, God continues to lovingly train me and even repeats himself and goes back over things that he's already told me and he doesn't cast me aside, blah, blah, blah. You know, so I had new thoughts. And then I wrote down some new actions. All right, I will remain calm. I will, you know, whatever it is. And then I mem- then I memorized a couple of do not get angry verses. Mm. I did actually memorize that Proverbs 25, a man without self-control is like a city with its walls torn down. But just memorizing a verse won't get it done. Totally. I memorized that verse once I took time to break down what am I doing? What am I thinking? What should I be thinking and saying to myself? What would I like by God's grace to be doing? And, and then, I mean, I looked at it every morning as I read my Bible. And I'd pray over it and say, God, help me today. And then yeah. I, I just kept it right on a card in my Bible for weeks. Mm-hmm. And by God's grace, change yeah. happened. And you can form a new habit. Right. So there's what the change process. And most people don't, Christians do not realize change involves real effort and, and intentionality. That whole totally. bumper sticker, let go and let God, I just like to crash my car into them. <laughs> that is not how that works. You do not just let go. Well, I'm an angry man. Please, God, deliver me. Well, just you get to stay angry the rest of your life because that's not how that works. Mm. He would love to help you. But the sanctification growth process is you putting forth a grace empowered effort as he works. Yeah, I think, too, people can even go, you know, on the other end of the spectrum where they try to do it so much on their own. That's right. Does that make sense? Like, oh, yeah, there's the let go and let God. And then there's the I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. But then what it leads to is and then when the weeks and the months and even years go by and they still haven't changed, then just this guilt just comes in. It's like I've been doing I have the card. I've been doing what Brad Bigney said on Teens Need Grace podcast. I've been doing. And so how how do we as with kind of just as our last thought, how do we yeah. as Christians really, I don't know, depend on the energizing, I mean, depend on him, depend on yeah. the Holy Spirit? Well, and- here's how I would say it to you. The verse that I use all the time and I draw it on the, draw it on the dry board with my counselee, it's like 1 Corinthians 15, 10 mm-hmm. captures what you're poking on. Nice. Is it me or is it God? Is it right. God's grace or my effort? What if I just go after it in raw effort? No, that's not. So when people say, is it God or me? I say, yes. (laughs) So then I draw. So then I take them to first Corinthians 15, 10. Paul says, by the grace of God, the grace of God, I am what I am. Mm. And if he'd stopped, it would be all grace. Let go. Let God. He doesn't stop. He says, and his grace towards me was not in vain but I labored more abundantly than they all. And there's two different words in the Greek for work. One's the ergo, where we get ergonomic, regular. He uses the word kapio, that means to toil to the point of sheer exhaustion. So mm. that shows us that it's not wrong. I like to say to my counselees, grace is not opposed to effort. Mm. It's opposed to earning. Mm. See, we got too many Christians think, oh, I want to make sure I'm focused on grace. So you can't earn it. So I shouldn't put forth effort. The Bible's not against effort. Mm. The Bible's against earning and merit, a merit mentality. But then Paul doesn't stop with his own effort. He says, yet not I, but the grace of God. So I always say to my counselees, our effort in the middle is bookended by two mentions of grace. It's Mm. two grace for every effort, two grace for every effort. You can't lose sight of grace. But you have to make an effort. So then the question really becomes, Evan, 
So how do I get this grace that I yeah. desperately need to make sure it's a grace empowered effort? And that brings us to the spiritual disciplines that as I counsel, I want people to be reading their Bible. Right. I would love it to be daily. I want people to meditate on a scripture. I want people to actually pray in specific terms. And I want people to be connected at close range with other believers. Call it a growth group, community group, small group, <laughs> ABF. I don't care what you call it, <laughs> but something where you're at close range with believers. And I'll show on the board and I'll say, don't don't think this is legalism. Like, ah, he wants me to check all these boxes. These totally. are means of grace. Grace is not this thing floating around. You get grace from God's word. And I'll show them uh, Acts 20, verse 32, where God says, I commend you to the word of God's grace, to God and the word of his grace. As he was leaving the Ephesians, you get grace when you read his word. I'll take them to Ephesians 4, 16, where it says, come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy to help when you pray you come to a throne of grace and you get grace mm. and then the one that really shocks them is i'll show them first peter 4 10 where it says believers are stewards of the manifold grace of god mm. every believer has a gift and they are they are actually channels of grace so when you cut yourself from off from other and say i'm done with people mm. not getting in a small group people <laughs> bug me you also just cut yourself off from a means of grace so i've I require my counselees to be in a small group, to be reading the scriptures, and to be praying specifically, not out of legalism, because I, I want I want them to form a habit of knowing where to get grace for the effort they're going to have to put forth for change. Man, this is so great. Brad, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Is there any... Um, any kind of last thoughts or encouragements you would like to uh, give to anybody who's listening uh, today? I think I would say, because this might have been overwhelming to some. Yeah. The word I would like you to hear as, as Evan signs off is freedom. <laughs> so many people would love to feel more free in their joy, in their sense of identity, in, in their choices. I want you to hear there is freedom at the end of this. You you could feel some of you are so bound up. You're just bound up and you're enslaved to so many things. And there is freedom on this path. There's pain on this path, but there it is a road that leads towards much greater freedom and joy and hope. That's awesome. Brad, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show, man. Really appreciated it. Thank you, Evan. Thank you so much for listening to Teens Need Grace. If you would like the show notes, ways to connect with us, or any of the resources Pastor Evan mentioned, please visit us online at fsmlife.church podcast. We're trying to get the word out about this podcast. You can help us out by telling your friends, sharing this episode on social media, and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks.